So I've been uh, proposing that um, the path to realizing justice is the path <clears throat> of face-to-face -face conversation. And uh, a new thing to say is that um, in this face-to-face -face meeting with an other being, the recognition of the otherness of that person as my master, as my teacher, constitutes justice. Once again, in face-to-face -face meeting, to understand that the otherness of who I'm meeting is my teacher, and to learn from that otherness of my interlocutor, the one I'm talking to, seeing that constitutes and produces justice. And that now I'd like to draw a picture which I suggested before. Um, the picture's inspired by a statement by D.H. Lawrence, which you can find on page 68 of the third turning of the wheel. I, I, there was a copy of it in the Doksan room, so I looked in it and I found this quote. So D.H. Lawrence said, this is what I know <coughs> my conscious self is like a little clearing in a dark forest. That's end quote. Now I'd like to talk about that. I mostly agree with and appreciate his suggestion. Um, and now I would say that he said, this is, my conscious self is like a little clearing. I would also say, my consciousness, where there's a self, which is consciousness, my self-centered consciousness, my consciousness, what I mean by consciousness is, a, is a, a form of mind where I am, where there's an I. That's like a little clearing in the middle of a dark forest. And implied in that clearing is that the clearing is actually not dark. It's, there's light there. And you can see, actually, in that, and in that little clearing, a whole universe can appear, a whole world. But surrounding that whole world is um, another uh, world, but it's dark. 
and it, it's that world is a little bit like what we, you know, the the Amazonian rainforests. In that world, has tremendous diversity, and that the diversity of that dark forest is too much for this clearing. I mean, in other words, you couldn't br- you couldn't bring the forest into the clearing. The clearing would become dark if you did. In my imagination, you know, I, I just imagine taking, having a little clearing in the middle of the Amazon rainforest and then putting the whole Amazon rainforest in the clearing. Of course, the clearing would be buried in lots of huge piles of trees and animals. But we're not going to do that. Well, maybe we will. And what I would say is that in the forest, where this clearing of my consciousness is created, and the clearing of my consciousness is created by the forest. The forest, I wouldn't have this clearing if it weren't for the dark forest. Also, there wouldn't be a dark forest if there wasn't a clearing where there was light. But out in the forest, there's a bunch of other clearings and the other clearings are all the other consciousnesses. So my conscious self lives in a consciousness where there's a self. And you're out in the forest. All of you are out in the forest. And you, each of you is a clearing in the forest. And... Um, the distance between my clearing and the clearing where I'm living and the clearing where you're living is in the dark. I don't know how far away you are. I can have theories. One of my theories is the distance between my clearing and your clearing is twice half the distance. So, you know, in the clearing you can do math. And you know, by mathematics, that the distance between your clearing and other clearings is two times half the distance. Also, you know, in your clearing, I know in mine, maybe you don't, some of you may have not understood what I just said. I, from my clearing, I just sent you a message, a math message, which I don't know if you got or not. Another message I send you from my clearing is that Approximately half the other clearings are of below average intelligence. (laughs) (coughs) And the other half of the other clearings are above average intelligence. Just a little message from my clearing to other clearings. I don't know if you got my message, but I sent it. Face to face. I gave my face to you, opened my mouth, and sent you some messages. And I don't know how far away you are. Except I do. You're twice half the distance. Now, when I 
when I have this thought about you being out in the forest, in your clearing, when I have that thought, that thought pervades your consciousness. If I have a thought that you're on Mars, that thought pervades your consciousness. Everything I think is my karma. One of the basic types of activity or karma which is going on in my little clearing is my thinking. And again, I'm, because I'm here, I think, and because I think, I'm here. Descartes. I agree with him on that point. And Buddha says, whatever you think has consequence. And I'm saying, one of the consequences of whatever you think is that whatever you think pervades other clearings, other consciousnesses. And whatever the other conscious, whatever thinking is going on in the other consciousness is pervading mine. And is part of the causal condition for my little clearing. The forest is is also my life, but I don't know what it is consciously. However, the forest is another dimension of my mind. And also the forest is my body. My body and my dark, unconscious cognition surrounds my conscious cognition. And in my conscious cognition, my little clearing, I have ideas about my body. Like, I think that out in the, I think that my body, which is actually a dark forest, has arms and legs. And my body, the dark forest, does not argue with me. However, it does send me messages, and also other consciousnesses send me messages saying, well, seeing your body as arms and legs and torsos, that's um, a very limited way to see your body. It's okay to see it that way, uh, you know, some... Your body is actually a dark forest surrounding your consciousness. And your unconscious cognitive processes, which live with your body, are surrounding your conscious processes. So all that whole forest is constantly communicating with my clearing. And everything that goes on in the clearing transforms the consciousness. Every thought I have, all the karma I'm doing mentally transforms the entire forest and pervades all the clearings. And the clearings are also, the other clearings are also transforming the forest, which means they're transforming unconscious cognitive processes that are in the forest and they're transforming the bodies in the forest and they're also transforming my clearing. And there's one more thing. 
and that is this mutual interpenetration, this mutual interpervading, this face-to-face transmission is Buddha, is the teaching of suchness. And that teaching of suchness, the realization of all these relationships, is also pervading the whole forest and each consciousness. That, however, that, that face-to-face transmission is not really the, f- the clearing and it's not the dark forest. It's the conversation between the, between the clearings And the conversation between the clearings opens on to the conversation between the clearings and the forest, which we will never consciously know. And <coughs> your consciousness pervades mine, and then when your consciousness pervades mine, I can have, I, I, there can appear in my consciousness images of you stories about you, which are not you, but they're the way you appear to me. So this clearing, in in this clearing, there are distorted and reduced versions of you appearing. So, yeah, so right now I have, there may be some people in the room I don't even see. Like a minute ago, I was looking for Joe Zen, and he wasn't here, and then now he's here. He was up in the hall someplace. (laughs) Now he came back. Here he is. But the way I see him is a reduced version of what he is. And he makes possible me having this reduced version. But the he that makes it possible, I don't know what that is. I only know how he appears in my consciousness. But the Buddha, that is the face-to-face transmission, has entered my consciousness and told me that my stories about all of you are not true. They're, They're just appearances. They're just stories. But I have to but if I, and I have, and, and I, if I can accept my stories of you and then have a conversation with you while I have stories of you, that conversation can lead me to see that the way you are, which is other than the way I think you are, is my teacher. So I'm, right now I'm talking to all of you, and if I can if I can understand that the way that you're other than the way I think you are is my teacher, then I'm, I'm, I'm doing my job for justice. And by the way, it's a, it's a big job to be able to see that other people's otherness 
is my teacher. In order to see that, I have to be very kind to my stories about other people and my stories about me. If I can be very kind to, my, to the way other people appear in my mind and to the way I appear in my mind, my consciousness, I can become free of this limited version of you and me. And then, and then I can see, I can understand, I can realize that you're other than what I think you are. And that is my teacher. And maybe if I keep talking to you, you realize that the way I am is other than the way I am, and that that's your teacher, and that we together will be having this thing called Buddha, which is an intimate face-to-face conversation. It's not just me with my apparent face meeting your apparent face, although it includes that. It's me with my apparent face, you with your apparent face, and me being kind to the appearance of our faces. So kind that I realize your face is not your face. You have what we call in Zen an original face, a face before your parents were born. You've got that face too. But the face I'm seeing is not even the face since you were born or since your parents were born. It's the face that's born in my mind. And I don't make that face appear in my mind, the dark forest makes your face appear in my mind quite nicely. Gives me an opportunity to practice compassion with the way you appear in my mind. And by the way, if I by any chance believe the way you appear, then I also have the opportunity to practice compassion with all the afflictions that arise in my mind when I believe that the way you appear is what you are. And it's quite natural that I do that. So in a consciousness where there's a self, and that self, if that self is not understood, in a consciousness, if there's a self, that's what consciousness is. There aren't any consciousnesses. I'm using the word consciousness for a mind where, it's where I'm here, where somebody's here and it's me. That's what I mean by consciousness. When there's that kind of a self, if that self isn't understood, which is normal without training, there are four afflictions always. There's affliction and there are four types. And I'll tell you someday what they are. But right now I want to tell you that if there's a consciousness where there's self, there's affliction, unless you understand that the self is not the self. And the way you understand that the self is not the self is by fully exerting the self. And the way you fully exert the self is by being thoroughly compassionate with it. That's, a, that's sort of like the, today's picture, today's outline. 
and we can go in detail about how to be thoroughly compassionate to the self and to the afflictions. We can go into that. But, bef- but before we go into it, I just want to point out that those practices will teach us what the self is. And when you see what the self is, you'll see that it's actually other than the self. And that otherness is your teacher. Or the selflessness of the self is your teacher. And, and now you've got a teacher. You've got selflessness teaching you. And with that, you've done your part in practicing justice. And then you've got to get other, everybody else to join you. And actually, you see then that they are joining you, even though they don't get it, even even if they don't get it. So the Buddha wakes up and sees that everybody that's not the Buddha is the Buddha, and looks at each person and, sa- and says, "You're calling me to tell you that I see your me, and I'm telling you, and I see you don't get it, so I'm just going to keep." looking at you and telling you. So Buddha's sending us this teaching, and we're getting it, but the way it's appearing to us is not the way it is. But still, we have something to work with. So we have the Buddha's teaching appearing in our consciousness, and it is the Buddha's teaching in an apparent form. Buddha's sending it. What's sending it to it? Buddha. What's Buddha? Buddha is a face-to-face meeting with us. It's, that's already going on. And Buddha is sending us teachings about how to wake up to face-to-face transmission, which is to wake up to justice. I do not create justice. And you do not create justice. Our genuine conversation with each other opens up to the reality which teaches us justice. And one more thing I want to say, uh, which I'm oh, also in the um, in the process of con- having conversations with people, and again the conversations start with me, the apparently me, I appear in consciousness, me, the appearance of me is talking to the appearance of you. That's how the conversations often start. And I, I have a sense of that right now, that there's an, I seem to be here, and you seem to be here. That conversation, as it develops in the direction of being genuine, uh, calls me into question. Calls me into question and calls what I think is me into question calls me, the, the one who is conversing with you, calls me, the apparent me who is conversing with the apparent you, it calls my appearance into question. Uh, 
It calls my conversation into question. It calls what I think affliction is into question. It calls what I think the teaching is into question. That's part of the process of working towards justice, is me being called into question by you, by the apparent you. Like the apparent you can say, I, have a qu- I question whether what you're saying is true. That's, I hear the apparent you say that to me. But even if you say, <laughs> you know, I have no questions. I think you're totally correct. I completely agree with you. There's something else about you which is not apparent, which makes me feel like, wait a minute, somebody is calling me into question, even though you say you're not. I could say that was good, but what I would like to say is that that is, that's what an ethical relationship's like. Which again, some of us are not comfortable with, which means we're not comfortable with ethical relationships, but we can get used to it. We can get used to like walking around being in question. And if you're not in question, you can try to question yourself, put yourself in question, and and good luck. If you can do it, fine. But then we're also here. Let us give a chance to. Because the way we may put you in question might be different than the way you decided to put yourself in question. So if you say, you know, I actually wonder if I really do exist, that's fine. That's, that's like you put your, or, or I wonder if I exist the way I think I exist. This is good. And actually, we did help you ask that question if you did ask that question. Because our consciousness is pervading yours, creating your consciousness, asking yourself, am I a Zen student? What is a Zen student? Am I a Zen student? If I am, what is that? Am I ethical? Am I having ethical relationships? We are supporting you. If you have questions like that, we're supporting you to have those questions. And if you have no questions, like sometimes people say, when should you go meet the teacher? Well, one of the times to go meet a teacher is when you have no questions. People think, you should have a question to go see the teacher. And some people don't come because they don't have any questions. But the people who don't have any questions really should go soon. <laughs> also, if you have questions, you should go too. But the people with no questions should go at the head of the line. And you may know, I think... If I don't have a question, but maybe if I go meet the teacher, I'll have a question. And I think when you meet the teacher, you do have a question. And that question promotes the realization of justice. It promotes you doing justice to others and realizing justice with them and doing justice to yourself. It's not doing justice to yourself not to question yourself. It's not doing justice to yourself to not be questioned. To not give yourself a chance to be questioned, you're not doing justice to yourself. Your yourself is like 
out in the universe for the purpose of being questioned and for the purpose of realizing justice. Now, there's another aspect of this is that I, I, gotta be care- I feel I want to be careful that I'm not being a, a demagogue or a, a pedagogue or a etc. A demagogue is somebody who's, try- who's <laughs> trying to influence or, yeah, influence or persuade the people. I don't want to, like, persuade you. I want you to be persuaded, but not by me. I want you to be persuaded by a conversation, but I don't want to, like, have it be me persuading you to have a conversation. I want you to realize that what you are is a conversation. I want you, I want you to want to have a conversation, but I, I don't want it to be me persuading you to do it. But it could look like that, like I'm persuading you to have face-to-face transmission. I'm persuading you to have you know, the Buddha's teaching. I'm persuading you to Buddhahood. I don't want to do it that way. But if I do, I want to be kind to me, the great persuader. There's also the great pretender, right? So I'm, you know, and you can question me if you think I'm getting, if I seem to be slipping into being persuasive. Hey, do you think you're being persuasive now? Mm, Thank you for your, oh, well, look. So, uh, that was kind of a uh, that was my face. I just gave you my face. Thank you for accepting it. And thank you for giving me your face while I was giving you my face, and I welcome you to con- give me your face for a few more minutes. And a few means till the end of time. Just the thought arose in my mind, justice is realized at the end of time. I I see that. Don't you worry. (laughs) I just want to explain a little bit about what I mean by that. There's time, okay? And then there's the way time is. And the way time really is, is that it's otherwise. And otherwise of time is the end of time. When you realize what time is, you, you have arrived at the end of time. And that's when justice is realized. When you realize what time is, that's the realization of justice. And, you, and the way to realize that is through a conversation with time. Which every, and every person, is, when there's time, every person is time. It's, it sounds like justice is something beyond just resisting injustice. Right? That's what you hear me saying? Mm. 
definitely resistance is part of the conversation. I say resistance is part of the conversation. And resistance, if you wholeheartedly have a conversation with the resistance, you realize resistance is not resistance. And that, will, and that realization will constitute justice. I don't know who Donald Trump is, and I don't know who Hillary Clinton is, but I just happened to see Hillary Clinton looking pretty rested. Her face looked pretty rested, and she said, I'm back to join the resistance. <laughs> and I don't know who she is, but I like her. You know, she may be what some people say she is, but I don't think so. She may not be what people say she isn't, but I don't think so. She, like everyone, is otherwise. Nobody knows who she is. Nobody knows who Donald Trump is. So if there's the appearance of injustice, um, one way to relate to it, one way to talk to it, is by walking up to it and saying, hello, I resist you. That could be the conversation. I'm here to resist you. <laughs> and again, as I maybe said here recently, I don't know if I said it in this room recently, but one of my best friends, when I first met her, she walked up to me and said, Basically, I just want you to know I'm resisting you. <laughs> I thought, really? Well, what? <laughs> this is really interesting. <laughs> and I got really interested in her. And that's exactly what she wanted. She wanted me to get interested, and she was successful by telling me, I resist you. And I think if, if you go up to injustice and say, I resist you to injustice, that's because injustice is calling you and saying, would you come and liberate me from being stuck in this appearance? Would you be my friend? And you might walk up to it and you might say, I resist you. And injustice say, can I hang out with you? Can I join you on your, in your life? So, if you say I resist you as a gift, as an act of generosity, that would be an appropriate response to anything. But in particular, we're talking about injustice. Injustice is calling to us to listen to it. It's speaking to us. It's saying, please, Listen to me. Please talk to me. Please liberate me. And one of the ways you can start the conversation is, I'm resisting you. But in your heart, it's a gift. And also, it's an act, it's an ethical act. You're not trying to kill injustice. You don't think you're better than injustice. You don't hate injustice. You're not trying to control injustice. You're not slandering injustice. Did I say you don't put yourself above it? You don't intoxicate yourself in its face, and etc. 
This is like being careful of injustice. This is how to have a conversation with it. And then you'd be patient with it because injustice is oftentimes extremely uncomfortable. It's so sad to see it sometimes. It really hurts. And it's very hard to be present with it. That's being patient. Then we can move on to be diligent and energetic with it, with our, with our friendship, our friendship with injustice. The whole Buddha way is friendship. And if, if it's friendship with justice, and it can be friendship with justice, friendship with justice will, is the path to realizing Did I say friendship with justice? Friendship with injustice and justice realize justice. If you see any justice, be friends with that too. You could even go up to to justice and say, I resist you. In other words, I resist the way you appear. I know you're not really the way justice is. One time I was talking to someone in a monastery in California. And I said to her, I do not believe what I think you are. I do not believe what I think you are. I do not believe what I think you are. I didn't, I was telling myself, don't believe what you think she is. But I said it out loud, and she saw that I was trying not to believe what I thought she was, and that had a big influence on her. I wasn't exactly resisting her. I was resisting what I believe. I was resisting believing what I thought she was, because it would not be good for me to believe what I thought she was. And actually, I should do that with everybody all the time. I do not believe what I think you are. I think you're so wonderful, so beautiful. I don't want to believe that. That will hinder the conversation. And how do I not believe it? By being kind to it. How do I not believe injustice? By being kind to it. If I'm kind to it, then finally I can start to relax with it. And again, some people say, well, if I relax with injustice, it might take over the world. And and I would relax with that fear. I want to, anyway. I would relax with that comment. And And I might say, I can see why you think if you don't get all tense and contracted that maybe the, maybe the injustice will flourish. But actually, I think injustice flourishes on being met with tension and contraction. I think the path to liberating injustice and you know, being its friend is to relax with it. And then if you can relax with it, you can play with it. Play with injustice. I know that seems really scary. Then play with the fear. And But to play with the fear and to relax with the fear, you have to be kind to the fear. So I got injustice and fear of injustice. Injustice and horror about injustice. Injustice and sorrow about injustice. All that is part of my friendship. All that is what I want to be friends with. Then I can finally relax with injustice and play with it. And when I can play with it, I can enter into the creation of it. And when I can enter into the creation of it, 
I can understand it. Somehow injustice is created in this universe. And justice means to have a face-to-face conversation. And when the conversation is genuine, the conversation enters into the creative process of self and the injustice. And therein, liberation from injustice is realized. And stating that I'm resisting or feeling a resistance could be a gift that's offered to this process. I could go join the resistors as an act of generosity, as an act of love. Not looking down on what I'm resisting. Not putting myself above bigotry. Not putting myself above a unicentric view of the world. Which some people are telling me, I have a unicentric view of the world. I see the way things should be. The way things can be is gathered around me. And everybody should just line up with what I say, and things are going to be really good. That's not reality. Reality is, I have my view from my center, but you also are the center of the universe, and you have your view. And we can become free of our center of the universe view. I'm, I have a view from the center of the universe. Uh, it just reminds me of this, an interesting book called A View from Nowhere by, is his name Gilbert Ryle? This, by the way, this place where I, which is the center of the universe where I live, it's nowhere. And, and the me that's at the center of the universe is invisible. And I can realize that if I'm kind to this place. So, yeah. So the view, it's a view from nobody here, really, or it's a view from not-self, with other centers which are also from that same place. But we have, to, we have to talk in order to realize it. And the talk needs to be genuine and wholehearted. So, yeah, uh, resistance can be a wonderful path of, you know, and wonderful element of a deep friendship that will bring liberation from our fixed positions where we're afflicted. We're afflicted where we're stuck. Affliction gathers around the points of of being stuck. The points of attachment is where the affliction is buzzing around. We've got to get these centers of affliction conversing with each other. I, shouldn't, I say we've got to get it. We have to need to wake up to it. It's already going on. But because of not realizing it, we think we're stuck. The actual conversation is not stuck. But we need to enact conversation. Did you... Want to say something? Okay, so now I'm going to say something which, in a way, calls into question what you just said. 
she said there's not a meeting point, okay, between, for example, me and a big institution, okay? So what I'm proposing to you is that the big institution is um, in the dark forest. The big institution is not really in my little clearing of my consciousness. The U.S. government actually is not in my consciousness. But there is something in my consciousness called the U.S. government. And I can have a lot of different names for the U.S. government in my consciousness. In my little consciousness, I can have a lot of different ideas about the U.S. government. But that's not the U.S. government. However, there is contact between the U.S. government and my and my disappearance in my consciousness. The contact is between my awareness, where I am, and that image of the government. So the government gives rise to an image of the government in my mind. So the place of contact between me and the government is between my idea and me, which is connected to the government. But how is connected is in the dark. So I disagree that there's no point of contact between my clearing, my consciousness, and the U.S. government. I'm saying that the contact between my ideas of the government The idea, I should say, the ideas of, of the government and my awareness are in contact when the government is appearing in my consciousness. They're in contact. The ideas are in contact. But these ideas are not separate from the government. But I understand that the government is not my idea of it. Like if I think the U.S. government is this or that, I think my idea of the government is this or that. What the government is is beyond that. The good news is, and I, for me it's good news, is that if I relate in a compassionate way to my idea of the government, that sets up the possibility of a conversation with the government. Through the conversations that I can see. A conversation with something that the, the way the government's other than what I think it is and the way certain people who are appearing in my mind, who I'm in contact with in terms of their images of them, if I'm compassionately in contact with this, that realizes the actual conversation with them. So again, uh, we might want to change ourselves in order to realize not ourself, but actually it's more like letting yourself be completely yourself is what's needed. Letting the way you appear to be the way you appear to be is what's needed to realize you're not the way you appear to be. Letting the way certain people and certain institutions appear is what's necessary in order to realize justice in the situation where people have are dealing with appearances of things. And we're going to keep, 
I think for the, as far as I can understand, we're, for a while, it's going to be a while before we have consciousnesses don't, that don't give rise to appearances. I should say, where we have a, a life which is a, a vast forest which gives rise to clearings, and the vast forest which gives rise to clearings gives rise to appearances in the clearings. The appearances are going to keep rising, but already it, I've heard stories that some consciousnesses have received teachings about how to deal with these appearances and have realized justice through understanding how to relate to the appearances. And they realized it by having conversations with other consciousnesses. The justice is already the reality. We're trying to promote awakening to it. When you awaken to justice, then justice, you've got your great teacher You've got justice. Like, you've got justice now to teach you how to teach people justice. You've awakened to it, and now that you've awakened to it, you can learn from it, and it will teach you how to teach other people how to access it, how to realize it. And it's right nearby. It's in the otherness of everybody that's appearing in your mind. And then you can have conversations with people from your little clearing, other people who are in their little clearing, you can have conversations with them without destroying the clearing and so, you know, saying, let the whole forest in or change the appearance. You can have conversations. You can realize, oh, the way you're appearing in my mind is other than the way you're appearing in my mind. And that otherness of you is my teacher. You can say, may be able to, but I would say, you immediately do. You're immediately starting to be taught. As soon as you see, now, you know, I have this impression that the, the other that you see when you look at me, you appreciate. <laughs> yeah. So, however, the, the other that you appreciate okay, is other than the way, than what you see. What you see and appreciate, okay, fine. Be kind to that thing that you appreciate, and you'll get over that thing you appreciate. I actually think I appreciate. <laughs> no, let me put it the other way. For the, those, those nanoseconds of non-appreciation, <laughs> are more for the appearance of that which I see rather than for what I Yeah, think. and and so I appreciate and so I, I give you opportunities like that. <laughs> okay, I see. One, two, three. Um, I at right now I feel love energy and um, while I and I and I don't and I think what's happening for me is I actually, I, I, I actually understand and agree and appreciate what you're pointing to, and um, and and for me, you know, I sometimes I feel like I need to be grounded in a very specific thing in order for it to illuminate it. So, so help me out. So, for example, 
you know, um, well now I have to confess something. <laughs> that I looked at the internet last night, and there was, um, uh, the, the Department of Justice has just um, squeezed the laws again, to, and which will result in criminal prosecution of people who have um, small drug-related charges. And so, to me, that might be a condition that might have more people of color in jail, some young, often young black men in jail. And so, um, part of what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking your teaching and, and like wanting to keep working with it in these little realities that are happening. So I feel like grief, paralyzing. And, um, but first, that. And I think that's part of, you know, when we talk about everyone pervading you and you're pervading everything else, for me, to open up, to, to, to say, you know, I'm not going to take what we I call the privilege of lightness and say, I don't have to think about this or feel this because it's other, right? Like I'm wanting to... I you lost me there. <laughs> I, was, I was with you when you said you're feeling grief, and then, and then we could have stopped there because you've got something to work with there. You want to be grounded, right? Did you say you want to be grounded? Yeah, so you just told me something that you could have practiced being grounded with, the grief. And that's a perfectly good sentient being for you to have a conversation with. You can move on and give me another example, but you just gave one right there. You see this, and you can also, before you felt grief, you could have also worked with that, what, this, this apparent uh, danger to sentient beings. You could have worked with that, but then you thought of, you know, uh, I don't know what, the, the harm that might come to them, and uh, you, you feel the loss of non-harm. And when you feel the loss of non-harm, you feel grief. Now, you have the opportunity to be friends with that grief. Now, you also might feel doubt that being friends with your grief is going to protect and promote non-harm. I don't know if you do, but a lot of people think if you see the, the loss of non-harm, so-called harm, if you see non-harm turning into harm, then you might feel like you lost the non-harm and you feel grief. Right around in there, you have an opportunity to be friends, but you maybe feel like, I shouldn't be friends to this situation. I think part of what um, was coming up for me is this idea that um, we can make a choice, in a way, um, through our practice to allow us allow ourselves to open up to how we're being pervaded by everything and everything's being pervaded, and developing the capacity and that that in to open up to that recognition in our bodies and in our, our minds is to create the conditions for um, justice which is 
because what if I really open up to my grief in a way in which I um, also see that I don't know, you know, what this grief is about, that it kind of creates conditions for justice, because I'm being a, I'm allowing myself to recognize that I'm being pervaded all the time, and so. So there's something, there's information in my body that's waking me up to uh, an action, and I don't know, uh, yeah. It's waking you up, and when you're awake, you'll act in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And before you're awake, you'll act another way. And before you're awake, you're a bodhisattva, and after you're awake, you're a bodhisattva. It's just that after you awake, you'll understand that before you were awake and you thought you weren't a bodhisattva, you were. And also that while you were not being awake, you were exactly the you were totally the same thing as when you are awake. When you're not awake, it's hard for you to believe or understand that being deluded and being a great compassionate bodhisattva are identical. But when you wake up, you realize that they are. Provisionally and conventionally, provisionally, we're deluded. For, you know, we're deluded provisionally, conventionally. And simultaneously, ultimately, we are compassionate to all the delusion in the universe. Can I ask, I just used an example to help me. So I'm walking down the street, and if I'm walking down the street and a person falls, yes, and I see them as, and I'm I'm not woken up to the fact that I'm being completely pervaded by them and they're pervading me. If I choose to turn around and ignore it, yeah, um, because I haven't really um, woken up to the fact that that person is not separate from me, that's different from me then that person might be leaving. And, yeah. and I understand that I'm ultimately, I'm still you know, um, a bodhisattva. But once I, I, um, I feel the grief, or the outrage, or the, or the recognition of that, and I turn around and I actually clean that blood up and put a bandage on him, yeah, there's a difference between the two in some way, yes. Yeah, but uh, in the previous, before you put the bandaid on, did you were you having a conversation with the person? <coughs> no, and then was there an example there where you weren't having a conversation? I think did, did you give an example of not a conversation? Or yeah, or recognize the appearance of another? Yeah, so yeah, so there does seem to be a difference between having a conversation and not, and not having a conversation. It does seem to be different. Okay, they're not different. When you think you're not having a conversation, that's the way you're having a conversation. But however, almost no one can understand that without having a conversation. It, reality is, if somebody falls on the street and you turn away, that's your conversation with them. I mean, not, not that is your conversation. You're always having a conversation with everybody. 
That's reality. We're trying to wake up to that. So if, if somebody falls down and you turn away, it's like you probably don't understand that you're having a conversation with them. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you might think, I don't want to have a conversation with them. But that, you know, but, but you're still having a conversation with them. You just think, I don't want to, which is similar to, I do not want to be a bodhisattva right now. I've heard about bodhisattvas, and in this case, I don't want to be, I don't want to join that practice. Okay? I've heard that I am, but I don't want to be. And then the other one is, I've heard about I am, and I do want to be. And I want to have a conversation with this person. Almost nobody realizes that we are in this face-to-face transmission without practicing it in your karmic consciousness. Because in your karmic consciousness is where you think, I don't want to talk to this person. I do not want to give myself my face to this person. I don't want to re- welcome their face. That happens in karmic consciousness. And that, while that's happening, the face-to-face transmission is actually going on. But if I don't like practice talking to that, interacting with that, and being called into question by that, I'm not going to realize it. So my working on my little karmic consciousness, where I think this person is appearing in my mind, I do want to talk to them, or I don't, working on those two situations is how I'm going to realize the reality is that I was in conversation with that person before I was born. And that when I see that, I, my teacher is, is with me, and I can really work for justice now because I'm not fooled by appearances of justice, and I'm not fooled by appearances of injustice. In both cases, I'm called into question by both. If, a, if, if somebody falls down, I'm called into question. They're calling to me. They're saying, will you help me? If they stand up, they're calling to me too. Everything's calling me, and I'm listening to everything. And I need to practice that in my conventional, provisional, limited world in order to realize the reality of that. And reality is that it is already the case. So opening up my own little consciousness to conversation with everything, which includes a conversation with, I don't want to talk to this person. And I do want to talk to that person. When this person falls down, I'm not up for giving my face. When this person falls down, I am. I need to embrace both situations. Completely. I need to learn how to fully embrace. You can say one more thing. It seems to me, um, I just realized that too, it's actually easier, I'm going to use my body, it's easier on my body, it's not easier as a being to open up to the conversation than to not open up to the conversation. It seems to me that, that, that uh, because we're always having a conversation anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. It's like, well, mm-hmm. then I can relax because I just yeah. know that. Yeah, and vice versa. Vice versa. If you can relax, you can enter the conversation with relaxation, playfulness, and creativity. 
So actually, being in accord with reality is easier than not. And we call not being in accord <laughs> suffering. And so when we're not in accord with this conversation, we suffer. But in order to accord with it, we have to accord with it in our limited space, which, as you know, is, is very challenging. But it's being recommended and encouraged and saying it's worth it and it's necessary. You can't open to the reality if you can't open to the apparent, to the deluded. And the, in reality, the enlightened and the deluded are the same. They're, they're simultaneous and they're the same. So when I'm um, when I'm not wanting to talk to somebody who's calling to me, or I'm not wanting to talk to somebody who says they don't want me to talk to them, who says get away from me, if I don't, if I if I say okay, I'm going to not talk to you, that way of being, that deluded way of being, at the same time as that, there's complete, great compassion, and they're the same, and that's hard to understand. Uh, Ian, yes? You were saying yesterday, one way <coughs> having difficulty entering into that conversation, if we can, one way of opening to that is to confess, confess that healing, confess our lack Right. That's what we recited there. If you notice that you don't have faith in having a conversation, then confess, I don't, well, I kind of believe it, but I'm not practicing it. By confessing that with the people who are right there with us all the time that we can't see, <laughs> you, ent- you re-enter the conversation. The question is, you know, kind of the application of that in, this, in certain situations where somebody comes, uh, maybe their lived experience is that Apparently, been oppressed in whatever kind of system they live in, black or their Native American, and they hear this teaching and they feel they're unable to enter into that communication with the oppressor. I think I would be wary of suggesting to them that they need to confess their lack of faith. Well, but, but, but what if they just confess their lack of faith to me? Somebody comes and, and confesses their lack of faith to me. Do you think I should tell them just to take it back? Okay. So I'm not suggesting to the person who is confessing to me that they confess. They're confessing to me. And I say, thank you. So what are you saying? I'm saying if they, they, if they say, I'm not ready to have this conversation. Yeah. So then I have a conversation with them where they tell me they're not ready to have a conversation. Hmm? Did you say wait? If somebody says I'm not ready to have a conversation, I would wait? No, I would start right then. I would listen to them. As soon as they say that to me, I'm listening to them. The conversation's going on. I'm doing my part. I'm listening to them. And then if I wholeheartedly listen to them, I will realize that they're listening to me. The conversation is, in other words, 
I'm enjoying the conversation. They say I'm not ready for a conversation with me, with you, or with them. I listen to that. That's the conversation that we're working on here. They're talking, I'm listening, and also they're listening and I'm talking. Conversation going on. And I might say, then I might speak in a different way than I was speaking when I was listening. When I was listening, the way I was speaking was their words. When they say I'm not ready, that's the way I'm speaking. When you say I don't want to talk to you, to me, that's the way I'm talking, when I, if I'm quiet. And you're the speaker, I'm the listener, but I'm also the speaker, but in you, in you, I'm the speaker. So the conversation is going on. And, and then I might say, then I might sort of be the speaker in a different way than I was a speaker when you were talking. And I might say, don't talk to me until you're ready. Actually, you just did talk to me, but forget that. Don't have a conversation if you don't aren't ready for it. I totally welcome you not being ready to have a conversation with me. And people do come to me, like I told you before, they walk up to me and they say, I'm not ready to have a conversation with you. They go way out of their way to say, I'm not ready. And, and I, I might say thank you, or I might just be quiet. And then they might realize, oh, I just did have a conversation with you. So I'm not really waiting. I'm listening. This being is not called waiting for the cries of the world. It's listening to the cries of the world. That's a conversation. And when she listens, that creates blessing. And she's awake to the conversation through her listening. And she understands that all the cries are her, that she is all the beings that are crying, that they are identical to her. But some of them don't realize that they're her. They don't realize that they're listening to the cries of the world. They, they hardly can hear their own crying. She's listening to teach them to listen to their own crying. And when they listen to their own crying, they'll hear the other crying, and then they'll, be, then they'll realize that they were her all along. But she sees they don't realize it yet, so she's just going to keep listening and transmitting the listening until they realize that they're the great bodhisattva, and they always were. This is what we're trying to learn here, is that we are, when we're crying from our delusion, great compassion is right there with us, and great compassion sees that we are identical to it. And great compassion sees we don't see it yet. And that's why we're crying this way. Once we understand that we are great compassion, then we will cry in another way. The way we will cry then is the cries of the whole world. The way she cries is the cries of the whole world. If there's no crying beings anymore, people say, well, then what? Uh, I don't know. But she's not waiting. She's right now in the present listening to our cries. Everything we are offering, she's listening to. And she's joyfully listening and also feeling our pain, observing our pain, listening to our pain, and she can do it so wholeheartedly, she realizes that all dharmas are marked by emptiness. And she relieves suffering 
while she's listening to us. The way she relieves suffering is by listening to us wholeheartedly and realizing that all dharmas are marked by emptiness. The suffering is released, and we're trying, and she's trying to help us learn how to practice with her. She's not waiting, but she can wait, but she's not waiting. I think not knowing what to do is, is, is to some extent, it's like being called into question. So you, you, like you love someone, okay? And you, and you have a relationship with them. But you're not sure how you should carry out this relationship. You have a question about how you should proceed in this relationship with someone you love. That person and this relationship makes you question how to proceed. That's like an ethical form of love. Some people love people, but they have no question about how to unfold that love. This is not ethical. So the fact is you're not sure how to carry out this love you feel is, I think, kind of like, it sounds like maybe that you're kind of wondering and questioning how to act in accord with this love. And I think, yeah, it, it, that's what it's like to be in love in an ethical way. So we're experiencing right now some people who feel love for some, for some people, and they have no question about how to unfold that love. This is not ethical. This can even be tyrannical. That I love you, and I'm, I know exactly the way I'm going to love you, and you just keep quiet. But no, I love you, but I don't know how to realize that. So would you please help me? Please, you know, I feel there's something about you that makes me question my love for you. I wonder if it's appropriate. Would you please help me? This is a conversation rather than I love you and I'm going to like, now I'm going to love you. Well, how? I don't know how, but I believe I can find the way with, with your help, with your questions, and me listening to you, and me talking to you, and you listening to me, I think we can, we can find a way to realize the love in a, you know, in, a, in a way that frees us from our egocentric view of how to proceed. So I think you feel love. It's true that you, you are loving beings, but you also have a limited view of it. So because you have a limited view, it's not clear what you should do about how you, but other people. The conversation can help you. And the conversation will be the way. And now you're talking to me, and I'm responding to you. So you and I talking now is an example of the kind of work we need to do to realize the reality that we love all beings and that they love us. And that's hard for us to, like children have trouble being, you know, living in, in, in being questioned. 
So as we grow up, we can, we can train ourselves to be open to uncertainty and being questioned, being called into question, and having everything we see be called into question. And if we can tolerate that and be generous with that and careful with that and so on, we can open to the reality of what's going on. So you, it's true that you love everybody, but the love you have actually is other than the way you think it is. And you need to converse with all these beings in order to open to the reality of the love. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.